0: So our first scripture readings today is actually a whole smattering of Proverbs. So normally I'd invite you to open up your Bible, but I'd just leave you behind. So I'm going to ask you to just pay attention to God's Word as I read it and listen to these Proverbs because they are the Word of God, right? A Jewish priest... uh, probably gathered up many of them although many of them were originally gathered if not said by king solomon and they are god inspired and meant to give us some deep thoughts to chew on and live by as we develop the art of godly living and all of today's proverbs i can pick for today's uh, sermon so that's why i'm going to be skipping around but please give your attention to God's word from the book of Proverbs. Beginning, actually, in Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The heart of man plans his way but Yahweh that's the covenant name of God Yahweh establishes his steps the lot is cast into the lap but its every decision is from Yahweh our God many of the plans uh, in the mind many are the plans in the mind of man but it is the purpose of Yahweh that will stand plans are established by counsel by wise guidance wage war Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple just go on and suffer for it. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring." The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it and know that repetition was not an accident. Now today's sermon you can turn over to because it is James 4 verses 13 through 17, which will be on page uh, 1012 of those blue pew Bibles. So we're continuing in our series, just walking through the book of James that we've been calling Head, Heart, and Hands. Uh, And last week, Pastor Mike brought us into the beginning of a section where uh, James really deals with three different types of people, or three different groups of people. And what James has to say to each one is actually built upon James 4 verse 10, where James wrote, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So today, we're jumping in and looking at the second group. Starting with God's word in uh from the from James uh, beginning in four verse thirteen. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are glad that you are the one in charge of stuff. Because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And sometimes, Lord, that causes us some anxiety. And that causes us some problems. Because we don't trust you. We don't remember you as we ought. So Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us to repent of boast bragging in arrogance and to do what is right. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, 17 years ago, I knew I was going to be a professional trumpet player for the rest of my life. And about, oh, I don't know... Ten years ago, I knew I was going to graduate from seminary and be a college minister for ten or twenty years. And uh, seven years ago, I knew we were going to live in Utah for the rest of our lives. And then six years ago, I knew we were going to live in Canada for the rest of our lives. And five years ago, I knew we were going to get out of Oklahoma within a year or two And four years ago, don't tell anyone, okay? If you'd asked me if I'd ever be a pastor at Heritage Presbyterian Church, I would have said, no way! Well, let me tell you how all those plans worked out. Here I am! (laughs) So, has anyone else ever had your plans fall apart? Yeah, a couple of people? Alright, well... Sometimes we just don't know what to do with that. I mean, can we make plans in this chaotic world? At least it feels that way. Because sometimes it seems like it doesn't matter what we do. Uh, Things just fall apart. And that creates one of the hardest things in the human experience. Not knowing what's coming next. Because we crave certainty. We're hardwired for certainty. In fact, there's plenty of studies that show that at a certain point of uncertainty, it actually like does trauma to our brain and our souls uh, to have too much uncertainty. And it wears us down, mind, body, and soul. Now, there's some people who talk like they have certainty. Now, not all without reason. Don't get me wrong, there are appropriate certainties, but some people just have a swagger about things with such specificity. Uh, and there's just no warrant for that, especially when it's rooted in their own sense of self-superiority. And this passage, James four, thirteen through seventeen, rebukes that sort of arrogant. Boasting That false certainty, while at the same time it hints at something to be confident in. So this passage is an indictment against an attitude or worldview that plans and acts without regard to God's will, but it is an encouragement towards confidence for those who will humbly trust Him. And just to be clear, There is things in this, in the context of the whole letter and this passage that suggest this really is written to Christians. So, if you're getting ready to listen to this sermon and hear me rant about the arrogant people out there who don't take God's will into account, you're about to be sorely disappointed because I'm coming at you, brother and sister. So, buckle up. Um, right? This passage. Is about humbling ourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt us. This passage, when we live in light of it, will let us know that while we don't know what's coming, we can make plans with Godward flexibility. And that's the key word. Godward flexibility. Note takers, write that down. Because I'm going to basically... All four points are just a variation on that one point, okay? So if you feel like I'm repeating myself, it's because I am. I want you to get this Godward flexibility. And to understand how this passage teaches us God's flexibility. Let's talk about who James was originally talking to, what they were doing, James's instructions to them, and what those instructions are anchored in. Or for those of you who take notes on the worship guide, which is located on the back Uh, the purveyors, the problems, the rebuke, and the reigning one. First, the purveyors, right? James says in verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will uh, go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Now this is Pretty normal way to talk for Christian businessmen, Mediterranean businessmen of the first century. Uh, And so no one would have been super shocked by that. Uh, And many commentators, and I know Pastor Mike agrees because he told me so, think that this is likely aimed at, or especially applicable to, Christian business people, both in the first century and today. But here's the deal. That means it applies to all of us because we're all business people in the end. We're trying to sell stuff, whether it's ourselves, we're trying to make deals, we're trying to make it in life, Uh, and especially in the American life, everyone's a business person at the end, whether that's good or bad is another conversation, it just is. And confidence, after all, is super American, I mean, who represents America more than the non-Christian John Wayne, right? Uh, right. This is what we have in our minds, is what it means to have to be braggadocious. We try to exert control over our circumstances through sheer willpower and bragging. And why wouldn't we talk this way? Because guess what? In life, especially in our culture, it works. There was this uh, study done by some scholars at Berkeley Business School who found that overconfidence you know, that overconfidence helped people attain social status. People who believed they were better than others, even when they weren't, like measurably weren't, were given a higher place in the social ladder and the motive to attain higher social status thus spurred overconfidence. Moreover, these findings suggest one reason why in organizational settings, incompetent people are so often promoted over their more competent peers. In organizations, people (coughs) are very easily swayed by others' confidence even when that confidence is unjustified. Displays of confidence are given an inordinate amount of weight. So if you want advice for climbing the business ladder, be confident. But if you want advice for climbing the ladder to heaven, be humble. Now, to be clear, James is not rebuking these merchants for their plans or even for their desire to make a profit, okay? It's okay to make a profit, and it's okay to make plans. Don't oversell this year. What he is rebuking is a this-worldly self-confidence that they exhibit when they pursue their goals. So James is not forbidding Christians from all sorts of planning, like getting insurance or saving for retirement, right? Those are not what's being condemned here. In fact, those are probably wise stewardship, all right? But what James is rebuking here is any kind of planning for the future that stems from human arrogance in our own ability to determine the course of future events, Save all you want, but if the stock market crashes, your retirement's gone. If you're a little bit depressed now, that's okay. We all need Jesus. All right. What we're talking about is the difference between arrogance versus confident yet not knowing trust. You, You like that little word I came up with? Arrogance versus confident yet not knowing trust. Arrogance says everything is going to go my way because I'm entitled to it. I'm going to earn it. I'm going to make it go my way. (laughs) Good luck with that. No, you won't. Whereas confident yet not knowing trust says something like, well, it looks like this is where things are pointing and I know God's word is clear this is okay or at least it doesn't say anything against it and it seems in line with God's values. So, you know what? I'm going to go down this road and see if God blesses it and trust that if he doesn't, he's still going to make things happen. All things work for good for those who love him. Now, that doesn't sell books and it doesn't get you promoted in Devon Tower. But it's what pleases God. Uh, maybe you don't need to do it quite as explicitly as that. Maybe you don't say it. I'm not trying to be the word police here, okay? That's never good. But this is the sort of heart that is behind confident yet not knowing trust. The problem is is we often don't have confident yet not knowing trust, as particularly because we don't know what's coming tomorrow, which James points out in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Well, if that's the way it is, does it mean we can't make any plans, Wes? No. I've already said we can make plans. We just need to hold them sort of loosely and trust that God's plan is better than our plans. I mean, there's a weird nexus where we really just have to make the best plans we can, work as hard as we can, pray, and trust God to make it work out right, even if it doesn't look like what we expected. That, that's really just those Christian advices you can get. Because trust me, talk to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century Christians, and they'd tell you they had a hard time making plans when people kept trying to kill them. Right? So, all right, Wes, does this mean we can't be confident in anything? Well, I mean, there is actually a place for healthy self-confidence. If the Lord has gifted you with something, it's okay to say the Lord has gifted you at something, but you're acknowledging the Lord gifted you at that. And of course, it's good to boast in the Lord, as our assurance of pardon told us, to say, you know what, God is going to see me through this, right? So there's reasonable confidences, but there's not absolute confidence in anything in this world. I know some people will say something like, you know, the problem with that talking preacher is you're going to hold people back because you know what you've got to do? You've got to tell people that they just need to believe. And if they believed enough, things would go their way. And the problem is, is that's nonsense. Trust me. Plenty of people have believed to have their worlds fall apart on them. And no matter how hard you believe, had that dude that climbed Devon Tower a few months ago lost his grip, all his faith in Jesus wasn't go to save him. He was going to go splat when he hit the ground. Right? I mean, he'd go to heaven, I'm sure. My understanding is he was a Christian. But faith won't stop gravity. Um yeah, the idea is that if you just believe things, they will go your way, is largely false. Now, when we say you just need to believe, and this is sort of a freebie, this isn't in the text, but i got to cover my bases here. When we talk about you just need to believe, we are talking about things like, you do need to believe that repentance is possible. If you don't believe repentance is possible, you won't try to repent. And it does apply in things like, If you don't believe you can get strong enough to deadlift 500 pounds, you'll never put in the effort to do it. Although just physiologically, most of us actually have that capability given the right training. But you do have to believe you can do that first, all right? So context matters with the phrase. But the point James is making has nothing to do with any of that. That was all just freebies. what James is talking about is you need to keep God involved in your plan-making when you make plans and know that we live in a broken world that doesn't always work out the way you thought it would, right? Now, it's a broken world where God is sovereign and God is good, but it is a world that doesn't always make sense. And if any preacher ever, t- ever tells you that if you just read the Bible right, the all of life would make sense, that person is lying to you, Right? Uh, the world doesn't always make sense because there is death and disaster amidst God's grace and goodness. And there's just a lot of stuff we don't know. And often, the way things work out has to do with the fact that we don't know what's best for ourselves. But God does. Right? It's that Garth Brooks song, Thank God for unanswered prayers. And what he really meant, if Garth knew what he was talking about, was thank God that he knows what's best, so that when I ask for something that's not best for me, he says no. It's not that God didn't answer, it's that he said no. I love you too much to give you that. Or not right now, you're not ready for that yet. Those are still answered prayers, just not answered the way you want So, we don't always know what's best for ourselves, and so we need to lean more and more into God-dependence. Right? It's good to have goals, but goals can disappoint us if we leave out God's will as we make them. Because there's no point in making plans as if God doesn't exist, and there's no point in making plans as though they are absolutely going the the way we plan it. Because that's just not how life works. So, James rebukes these people. We're actually going to skip verse 15 for a minute and come back to it. We're going to look at the rebuke in verses 16 and 17. In light of all these problems that James has identified with these businessmen's form of arrogant boasting, James rebukes them, saying first, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Um, There's this Dude, that did his own paraphrase. That uh, named Phillips that translated it this way. You got a certain pride in, in your a certain pride in yourself in planning your future with such confidence. And you know what? It's that sort of pride in yourself that is an abomination to the Lord. Uh, if you missed Pastor Mike's uh, sermon when we installed elders and deacons, go back and listen to it. Right. This pride is an abomination to the Lord, right? There's lists of things that are an abomination. Uh, Homosexuality and uh, robbing the poor and arrogance. Exact same word translated for all of them. So arrogance is just as bad as any of those other things I named. Meaning we all stand condemned. Is he ever going to get to grace? Not yet. Not yet, but I'm getting there. Right? This pride of life, God, uh God thinks is an abomination. Because ultimately, Psalm 127 is right unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Uh, and James is saying you've got to take God into account and your need of him as you plan this stuff out. And you've got to have Godward flexibility. Uh, that is knowledge that He's still good even if things don't go the way you want. And, and that, I know experientially, that is really, really hard, okay? I've had a lot of things not go the way I thought they were going to go. And some days all you got to look at is whatever blessings God's still given you in the Bible. But I can also tell you experientially that through the darkness, there is light. God truly does bring light on the other side of the darkness. And if you will have a Godward flexibility, if you will keep looking at Jesus and let that bolster just a little bit of your God confidence as you go through those dark times, It won't make you unsad. It won't make it hurt less. But it will carry you through. Now, in this particular passage, back in verse uh, 16, right? It says, you boast in your arrogance. And this is actually the exact same word that was back in our our assurance of pardon. Exact same boasting, right? So, all boasting is not wrong, but what you boast in might be, and how you boast in it. Um, I love people who like to say, oh, are you proud of your children? To which I say, darn right I am. Well, that's sinful. No, it's not. You're a moron that doesn't know how to read the Bible. Like, that's not the sort of pride it's talking about. It's fine to be proud you won a football game, okay? It's fine to be proud that... Boomer Sooner is the best. Did they win yesterday, by the way? Crud. That did not work out as well as I was hoping. You can tell I didn't watch the game. <laughs> um, but the point is, is, I'm still proud of the Sooners, Dagnabbit! Uh, the, but, right, so that, that's not the sort of boasting it's, he's talking about. If you are proud of something you've accomplished, but you don't find your identity in it, that's fine. But when you boast... I am good, and I deserve, and I earn, and you should respect me because... Now that boasting is an abomination to the Lord. So if you've ever said, and by the way, I get this. I got like multiple graduate degrees. I'm the prime person James is rebuking here. Right? I can think, well, I have degrees. I know stuff. You should listen to me, and that's sin. And I often have to take a deep breath and humble myself and go, you know what? I can still be wrong despite all the letters after my name. Right, so uh, James is talking about what we put our confidence in or rejoice in. And of course, our assurance pardon said we need to rejoice first and foremost. We need to find our identity first and foremost. We need to boast in the Lord. And so James is, qualifying this verb to indicate that he is depicting boasting that arises from misplaced pride in one's own ability to chart the future. Now, a couple of side notes. Just because you have confidence in God will not get you your own way. If anything, I've been making the point, sometimes you have to have confidence in God specifically because you're not getting your own way. And so, absolute, just as, as I sometimes have to tell some little people, a tantrum will not get you your way. Neither will absolute obedience get you your way. We need to be able to roll with what comes and receive God opportunities, what a buddy of mine used to call God winks. Right? We have to be aware of these God-opportunities, uh, and uh, have confidence that God will be with us. Now, how? Well, we reach out to Jesus and hold on to Him tightly while holding our plans loosely, keeping His often largely unknown will in mind and being flexible as we figure out what to do. So then, James's rebuke continues in verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, right, this is in a context that's immediately t- attached to what's before it. And people will often pull out this verse and say, look, see, if anyone knows what to do and fails to do it for him it is sin, and I am going to ride the fence. I'm going to play both sides and be double-tongued or something. I think they're both right. Um that's not what I was supposed to say, but it's what I'm going to say. I actually think they're both right. Uh, I, I do think it's directly tied to this context. If you know not to be arrogant, and you just forsake it, you're not trying to put arrogance to death in your heart, that is sin. In fact, it's serious sin, because it's you trying to be God instead of letting God be God. At the same time, I think it just applies more generally. Um, right? This is why we confessed in, in the general confession we have sinned in many ways in thought, word, and deed, both by what we have done and by what we have left undone. I saw this person that needed my help, and I actually had both the opportunity and resources. It would have been a mere inconvenience. You know what? That might have been sin. I'm not saying you've got to stop on the side of the road for every time you see someone with a flat, but I'm saying sometimes you do. All right, so, and, and ultimately, you know why making plans without God is such a heinous sin? You want to know? And, and I got this from another preacher, but it's so good, I just got to say it. Because when we make plans without God, we're forgetting God. That's why making plans without remembering God is so heinous, because it's forgetting God. Have you guys ever been forgotten? I, I'm, I'm going to. I went on a road trip one time with some college students and I had a pickup at the time and so we had taken several cars as you do on college road trips and on our way back right, I had the pickup and I used to wear a cowboy hat and boots because I thought it was sexy or something uh, and right, I had everyone's luggage in the back of my truck and everyone was hanging out and then we got to this gas station and everyone piled in all the, all the other cars and they drove off and it was just me and I had to drive three hours home by myself. I was forgotten. And it hurt. Imagine how much more it hurts God when we forget Him, the One who can righteously say we should glorify His name. And so, uh, there's a great prayer. I'm going to use it as our closing prayer for the sermon, but I'm going to go ahead and read it to you right now. Uh, It's from the Book of Common Prayer. Heavenly Father, in You we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray You to so guide and govern us by Your Holy Spirit that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget You, but may remember that we are ever walking in Your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a good prayer. I pray it at least once a week. So, If these are the problems, and if that's the rebuke, what is the answer to the rebuke? How can we find healing? Through the reigning one. Instead of arrogant boasting, James says in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Like, man, he like cut out the middleman. Forget, well, if the Lord wills, we'll do this. If the Lord wills, you will live and do this or that. Yikes! Now, this isn't a magical formula, right? It's not like if you start saying this, it becomes a bargaining chip to get you what you want, nor will it instantly sanctify you. Again, I'm not trying to get us to start walking around inserting pious jargon into our speech all the time if it's not in our hearts. But if it helps, go ahead and say it, because I do want to get this in our hearts. Um, as John Chrysostom, the ancient pastor, wrote, James is not trying to take away our freedom to decide, but he's showing us that it's not just what we want that matters. It's God who guides and governs us. We need God's grace to complement our efforts and ought to rely not on them, but on God's love for us. And that is only possible as we see two things. The character of God And the power of God. Now the character of God is first and foremost seen in He who is the image of the invisible God. The one Lord, Jesus Christ. Who Himself, on the night that He was betrayed before He went to the cross, prayed in the garden, My God, if it be possible, may this cup pass from Me. Yet not My will, but Your will be done. The mystery that the divine will was at odds with itself. Now, there's a million theological books written on that. Don't get technical on me right now. The Scripture says Jesus wanted one thing and God wanted the other, but Jesus wanted His Father's will more and submitted to it, okay? If it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. We must say from our hearts, if the Lord wills. And what Jesus' act right there shows us is that our God's will is for our good. Our God's will is to show us love. Our God's will is to forgive us. Our God's will is to glorify us. Because our God was willing to say, I will not give in to my own will, but rather I will follow that which I will more, which is to die upon the cross you know the second person of the trinity dying upon the cross for our sins because he loved us that much so whatever god lets happen he must love us because he's shown us his love through the cross but what's more he's also shown us his power because jesus didn't just stay dead he came back to life you guys yes yeah, Jeremiah remembers this liturgy we're also to say yay jesus came back to life Yay! Right? He came back body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair. This ain't no silly spiritual resurrection. God showed power. After three days, after a dude had died a brutal death, God brought him back from the dead. And if he's got that sort of power, we have every reason to have humble confidence in him. Because if God closes and opens a door, it must be what's best for us. Therefore, we need Godward flexibility. We need a certain spiritual awareness that God is likely behind the plans that we make because we Christians have the Holy Spirit. And yet, we need to hold our plans loosely, knowing that God may be getting ready to do something even better than we can currently foresee. Thus, the proper attitude is, we will make plans, but if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Because we don't know what's coming, but God does. And that's good news. We can make plans with Godward flexibility. We don't do it with absolute confidence in ourselves, because we don't know everything that's going to happen, but God does. So consider what God might want as you make your plans. What does the Bible say? What's it clear about? What's it not clear about? What has providence been somewhat clear about? And then wonder about if you're right about that. uh, Right? And, And then make the best plan you can and trust that God will make things best in the end. Make the best plan you can and trust that God will make the best plan in the end even if it looks nothing like the plan you had at first. Godward flexibility. It is the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for you and was raised again who wills things. That's the Lord James is referring to right here. And you know He loves you because of what He did for you. And you know that He has power because the Father raised Him from the dead and you know it ends in your glory, sanctification, and good being with Him in the new heavens and earth and eternity. Therefore, my friends, brothers and sisters, you can trust the One who wills because He loves you. That means that even plans gone awry are still good plans. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father, Father,